Good afternoon. It's a great privilege to be here today to um, speak to you. I was telling someone over at the middle school earlier this morning while I was doing my discipleship, I said, it's great to work in a place that you are excited to go in on your day off. And I can say that with all sincerity here at the Potter's House. I've been involved with the Potter's House now for, I think this is my sixth school year. It's been a privilege to actually be working here this semester. And I know many of you, some of you I've known since fourth or fifth grade, and it's been a privilege to watch you grow up and to watch you learn the things of the Lord. And so today, I'm glad that the um, virtue of the month was mentioned a couple times because to tell you the truth, I kind of forgot what it was. But I do think that God was at work because my message today will follow along the lines very nicely. First thing I want to do is do a little bit of an introduction and then we'll open in a word of prayer. But first of all, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about the date today. Now, perhaps your history teacher mentioned this, um, but today is the 75th anniversary of the J Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And on December 8th, Franklin Roosevelt addressed the nation and he said, today is a day that will live, or yesterday, was a day that will live in infamy. Another day which lives in infamy for many of us, those of us who are your teachers and on staff here at the Potter's House, many, most of us have vivid memories of this day. You may not because you either weren't born or you were little. But that day is September 11th. 2001, when terrorists decided to drive airplanes full of people into the World Trade Center in New York, forever changing the landscape of the United States, forever changing the lives of thousands of people, and in effect pushing pause on the great big VCR of time. The reason I bring these dates up is because there's another date that sticks in my mind, and that is July 16th, 1992. It was the worst day of my life, but it gave birth to the greatest hope in my life. And I will tell you about it as soon as we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you ordain times and seasons. We thank you for bringing us together here at the Potter's House. We thank you to the fact that we can be at a school that honors and magnifies and glorifies the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we know that he is already here, but we invite him here in a very special way. In the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, Amen. 
So you ask me, why is July 16th, 1992 so pivotal in my life? Well, in order to do that, I have to give you a little bit of my background. I was born in May of 1979, which is a great time to be born, by the way. Um, it's, the, it's the late spring, early summer. It's my favorite time of year. The snow is gone, which is an awesome thing. And when I was little, I used to think that every four years, uh, people threw parades in my honor because every four years or so, my birthday fell on Memorial Day, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. Also, it was about six months between my birthday and Christmas, so presents every six months, that worked out for me. But on July 16th, 1992, my three-month-old ba baby brother, who was my uh, seventh sibling, I now am the oldest of 12 children, but I was 13, and my little brother was three months, and my mom fed him in the morning and put him down for his morning nap, and as she was wanting to do, she got busy. And she asked my siblings to look in on baby John every few minutes to half hour, and they always said, well, he's sleeping. Finally, it got to be about 1.30 or two in the afternoon and she went in to look in on him and he was gone. It was like God had said to him or an angel had said to him, let's take a walk. And he went to heaven. And I'll never forget my mom racing down the stairs holding my brother's lifeless body and screaming at the top of her lungs and picking up the phone and calling 911 and saying, my baby's dead. And I remember when the, I had already been studying the Bible that day. I think it's the providence of God that I was. I don't remember what I was reading, but I was reading the Bible. And the paramedics got there and they tried so hard to breathe life back into my brother, but they failed. Later at the hospital, he was officially pronounced dead. My parents came back to us and said he had gone to be with the Lord. Now, for my family, my mom had been planning to have me at home when, I was, when she was pregnant with me. I was born three months early, so obviously she was scared. She decides, hey, I'm going to have my babies in the hospital. And then when number six was finally full term, she's like, I can start having them at home again. Because I go into the hospital well and I come out sick. I don't want to do that anymore. So to, this, to, to date, uh, in every percentile, this, this baby had been my mom's healthiest. There is no earthly reason why he should have died. And what proceeded out of that time was the worst year of my entire life. I had really been depressed for a lot of my childhood. I came to know the Lord when I was five years old. Best decision I ever made. 
But instead of it being the beginning of this grand journey, it was the beginning of a struggle. Because I said to God, why, God, did you put me in this wheelchair if you wanted me to serve you? And I spent nine years asking God that question. And uh, when my brother died, that was the rock bottom point, and I got to the point where I said, okay, God, I'm useless. There's no reason for me to be here anymore. I just want to die. And I told my mom, I said, why did he leave me here and take my brother, who was perfectly healthy, who had all the potential in the world, when I am utterly useless? This is, this is, this is what, I, what I said over and over to my mom in the months that passed. And it was a really rough year, but when I was 14, about a year later, I went to a conference and one of the sessions was on 10 things you can't change about yourself, but you wish with all your heart that you could, things like the time you're born in history, things like your birth order, maybe you have an older brother or an older sister that drives you nuts. Maybe you have a younger brother or younger sister that drives you nuts. Maybe you wish you were born in simpler times. Some people ask me if I wish that technology was there so that I could walk. I don't know, maybe back then I would have said absolutely. Now I believe God has a divine plan for my wheelchair. Does that mean that I would be totally opposed to walking? No. But you know, I've walked closer to God over these years of not being able to walk than I ever would have. Because I wasn't able to walk away. My parents shoved me in the van every Sunday for church. Even if I had tried to run away, my battery would probably die before I got very far. And my dad could definitely outrun my chair, at least at that time. So I, I, even if I wanted to skip church, that wasn't an option. But that day when I was 14 and they talked about how God physically made you, God finally broke through and he said, Andrew, you know what? He said, I don't need to change the outside of you. And maybe that's what God is trying to tell you today. God doesn't need to change the outside of you. He made the outside of you. He chose who you are. Jeremiah chapter 1 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God broke through that day and He said, Andrew, if you will get out of the way, and let me run your life, then I will begin to work in your life and use you. And the thing that I have discovered over these years since that time when I was 14 years old, is that God loves to work in impossible situations. We're going to look at a couple of impossible situations today as I continue to relate more of my testimony. But if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. The book of Luke chapter 1, it's very interesting that hope is the, is the virtue of the month that probably wasn't an accident. But what greater hope do we have than the hope of Christmas? For 
Christmas is the time that we celebrate that the Son of God, God incarnate, the one who laid the foundations of the earth, chose to come as a human baby. He didn't leap on the scene as this, this great soldier. He chose to come as a baby. And he chose to be raised by human parents. Picture this, if you will. You're, you're just a teenage girl, possibly 20, but most people say that she was a teenager. You're minding your own business, and all of a sudden, this angel comes to you. We're going to look at that, but first we're going to look at, actually, at her cousin, Elizabeth. Because in... Um, the first chapter of Luke, um, I'm going to start with verse 11, but I would encourage you to read the whole chapter later. Uh, this is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Zechariah has been serving the Lord faithfully for years. Um, and we're going to see a special visit that he received. Luke chapter 1 verse 11 And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord Standing on the right side of the altar of incense And when Zacharias saw him he was troubled And fear fell upon him But the angel said to him Fear not Zacharias For thy prayer has been heard And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son And thou shalt call his name John And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. If you look up in verse 7, it says this, And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were now well stricken in years. Perhaps this is why we talk about being over the hill. We could probably blame King James for this, because I don't necessarily think of aging as being stricken, or being well stricken, but this is what the King James says. So it's saying, basically, it's letting you know there is no physical way that this could ever happen. Why? Because God wants the glory. Listen to me here. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying to you right now, or after this, please listen. And if you have a notebook, or a piece of paper, you might want to write this down. God will often call you to do something, make it impossible for you to do it, and then do it through you anyway. God will often call you to do something impossible, make it, make it, call you to do something, make it impossible for you to do it, and then do the impossible through you anyway. I have seen this happen in my life. In Zacharias, verse 18, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And it goes on, and it tells us that Zacharias was stricken dumb until the day that John was born. And all of Zacharias' relatives wanted him to name the baby Zacharias because you name him after the father, right? 
But as soon as he wrote on that tablet, his name is John, then his tongue was loosed. And the Bible says he glorified the Lord. You see, Zacharias was a doubter. And God chose to deal with his doubt by striking him down. Now, most of the time, God does not do things that severe to us. And I'm glad for that. When I was struggling against God, you know, I, I just kept saying, God, everybody always says you're perfect. You don't make mistakes, and yet here I am. Probably, maybe your only mistake, but I, I am. That's, that's what I thought of myself. But then, after I got over myself, and I let him in, things began to really happen. And so what happens? It says, after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days whereon he looked on me to take away my approach among men. And God's not done with his miracles, for in verse 26 we read, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came and said to her, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. And the blessed art thou among women. And when she saw she was troubled and cast in her mind, what manner of salutation this be? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And I think we see in Mary a little bit more faith than we saw in Zacharias. And the reason I say that is because she doesn't question him. Well, she questions him, but it must have been in a different tenor, or perhaps God just chose to use a different uh, method. But he said, she says this, then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then he gives her encouragement. Because he tells her, Your cousin Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and is in the sixth month, even though... She was called barren. And this is my favorite verse in this whole passage. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. A lot of people try to stereotype me. They don't think I can do much in this chair, but I can tell you this. That I've accomplished a lot more than a lot of people thought, and every time I do, I get to point to the one who made it all possible. I graduated from high school in 1998, 
and graduated with a bachelor's degree in communications in 2006. I raised my GPA almost a whole point from high school to college, graduating, graduated just, just below a 4.0 for college for my last two years anyway. I say this not to brag, but to say that when you allow God to have control, he will do things above and beyond what you could ever imagine. I remember when I was in high school, like you, I, I felt like I skated by. I was homeschooled and uh, didn't necessarily have the strictest teachers in the world. I had great teachers, though. My parents were great teachers. But I kind of didn't try my best. But then I got out of high school and was thinking about what to do next. And, got, and my dad said, you have enough barriers in life. Don't make education one of them. You need to go to college. And I'm sitting here scared to death to do college work because my parents have been grading my work all these years. Am I really smart or did they just give me good grades because they liked me? But I found that I was able to do the work and I was able to graduate. And God has, has opened up many ministry doors since then. But I hold up these two examples of Elizabeth and Mary as two ends of a spectrum, both of which had impossibilities that God made possible. He, he tells Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, God, I've wanted a baby for years and years and years. And now you tell me? And he goes to Mary and he says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary says, but I don't have a husband and I never have been with a man in that way. And then God says, with me, nothing is impossible. I still have dreams and goals and aspirations. I hope one day in the not too distant future to have my own family. Probably do some homeschooling, but I would have to say that if I didn't homeschool, I'd probably send them here because I love this place and the people. And I know that we all love and serve the Lord. And I love the fact that we get to do that together here. I'm hoping to stick around after the construction's done so you can pray that maybe we can work out some details as far as that goes. But the point I'm trying to get to here is both of these women were in impossible situations. But God waits for those impossible situations to show up. You see, in order for me to be used by God, I had to get to the place where I realized that He was the only one that could do the work. You see, I was lamenting the way God made me, but he was the creator. And he doesn't make mistakes. If we're going to start to believe that God makes mistakes, we're going down a very, very dangerous road. 
Instead, we can realize that God has a plan. Let me take you back towards the beginning of God's plan, not the very beginning, because I'm not going to go through the whole Bible, otherwise we would still be here tomorrow morning. But another man comes to mind, and uh, that man is in the Old Testament in Exodus. See, this man named Moses, he was kind of an interesting fellow because... He was born at a time when Hebrew boys, which he was, were being killed. And his parents hid him. And when they could no longer hide him in their house, his mother put him on the Nile River in a basket made of bulrushes. And Pharaoh's daughter picked him up and adopted him as her own. And then she didn't have an ability to care for him, so... Moses' sister, who was watching over him, says, Can I get you a nurse? And she said, Yes. And it was Moses' own mother. And after the, Moses came of age, he went to Pharaoh's house. He was there for about 40 years. And he was angered at the oppression of his people. His mother must have drummed into him that he was indeed Hebrew. And he went out to try to help them. And he ended up uh, killing an Egyptian and the next day, he thought nobody knew about it. Next day, two of his fellow Hebrews were arguing, and he tried to get them to stop. And he said, well, will you kill one of us like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses takes off, leaves Egypt. And then, 40 years later, after taking care of sheep... On the backside of a desert, God calls him into active service at 80 years old and says, I want you to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 4 because I want you to see Moses' response. Because you see, Moses' response is a human response. Moses wasn't like, okay, God, uh, let me go pack my things and I'll be right with you. No, as a matter of fact, Moses spends the vast majority of the next two chapters arguing with God. Let me tell you something. I have argued with God. I spent the better part of nine years arguing with God. And I want to tell you that you need to save your breath. Because before you even formulate the argument in your mind, before it even passes your lips, God has the answer for that argument. Let's look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 to 12. Because this is very much the message that God gave me when I was 14. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. You see, it's not so much what I have to say, it's what he has to say through me. 
You see, in sharing my story, I don't just share a story of a, of a man who was placed in a wheelchair and spent 37 years riding around in it. No, I tell you the story of a God who placed that man in a loving Christian family who taught that man how to love and serve God. I have a father who taught me how to love the Bible and he taught me how to love kids. You know, that's why I'm here. I'm here because I love kids. I don't have my own children yet and so in, in some ways you guys are like my kids. I know that sounds corny to say, but... I really do feel that way. I, I really care for each of you, and like I said, I've watched many of you grow up. And I'm very thankful for um, the, the friendliness that you guys have extended to me. Lunch times here in the cafeteria are among my favorite parts of the day. And um, so, aside from food, fellowship is great. I know we all like food, but um, fellowship really enhances that. But you see, that's what I was doing as a 13-year-old young man. I was saying, God, uh, you made a mistake here. I know I grew up just hearing that you don't, but you did. And God said, no. God said, see, because you're trying to do it yourself and you can't. See, when we get to the end of ourselves, that's when, he, that's when he shows up. So if you're here today and you feel like you don't have hope and you feel like you can't do it, you're probably absolutely right. Matter of fact, I know you are. Jesus said in John chapter 15, without me, you can do nothing. He didn't say some things. He didn't say a few things. He didn't say one thing. He said nothing. You can't do anything without me. But then he said, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now that doesn't mean every feat. That doesn't mean everything you ever wanted to do. What it means is everything that he calls you to do, you can do. One of the first chapel services, if not the first chapel service I saw here, Mr. Vandenbrink was talking about using the right tool for the job and how frustrated he was about fixing his basement until he got the right tool. And then the right tool did it in like five minutes, what he had taken months to do. I was so focused on what I couldn't do that I wasted a lot of years not doing what I could and should do. And I have to tell you, I faced that again after I graduated from college. My plan of action when I graduated from college was, I'm going to get a full-time job. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to prepare to have a family, a wife and children. Now these are still things that I want, but my dad came to me about a year after I graduated, maybe not even a year, and he said, you know, Andrew, he said, you have a message to share. And you need to be about sharing it more often. And so I started praying, and I prayed for about a year, and, and through his prodding and the prodding of some other special friends in, in my life, I 
launched a website called Speaking for Him, where I offered my services as a traveling preacher, and I also have a weekly podcast um, that I post on that website. I, I've seen that several of you have um, iPhones, and you know all about digital devices and all that kind of stuff. You can get my podcast on iTunes and and listen to it. Because it talks about different aspects of Christian growth, and it talks about different struggles that I've had. Right now I'm posting a series of what it's like to grow up with a disability. See, you see, just as, as Potter's House seeks to expose you to different cultures and to prove that we can all get along, because surely we can, we have the same maker. I am also trying to normalize those with physical disabilities. You see, I may ride around in a wheelchair and not be able to walk and not be able to get upstairs, but I have the same goals and dreams and aspirations of any other man in here. My highest goal is to be a man of God who at the end of my life, people can say, he lived for God. If, you, if people can say that, then I've lived my life well. It's the only thing I really want. Secondarily, like I was saying, I, I greatly desire a family of my own. I grew up in a family with 12 children. I've always wanted a big family. I enjoy my nephews and nieces. I still live with some of my siblings and my parents, and that's great. But I feel a sense of loneliness even among people. Because there is a difference. So I ask that you would pray for that area of my life. I've definitely found a home, I believe, here at the Potter's House. I love getting up in the morning and knowing that I get to come here, spend the day with everyone. So I want to challenge you as I prepare to close. What is God telling you? Maybe, as I said earlier, you're questioning the way God made you. Let me be the first to tell you. Or, hopefully not the first, but the next to tell you that you are a masterpiece. Why do I know that? Because that's what God makes. He knew who you were going to be when you were in the womb. That's why it's so distressing to me that we live in a country where 60 million plus babies have not been allowed to breathe air in our country. Because God made them. My prayer for each of you is that you would realize that going to a Christian school, as great as that is, won't give you the hope. Being raised by Christian parents, as great as that is, 
won't give you the hope. There's an old hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can you imagine the God of the universe? The one who was there. Proverbs chapter 30 says, what is God's name and what is his son's name if you know it? That means that even Solomon, as he's writing Proverbs, has some inclination that God has a son. Job said it this way, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth he will stand. One final story, and then I'm going to close with a song. But one final story I want to share with you is a few years ago, the community theater that I'm involved in, Master Arts Theater, put on a production called The Book of Job. And as I was sitting there getting ready to watch the production, the gentleman that was sitting next to me told me, started telling me about himself, because I'm the kind of guy that when I sit next to you, I start telling you about myself. And he told me that he had ALS. And for those that don't know what ALS is, it's a neurological disorder for which there is no cure. And generally, people get worse and worse until they finally stop breathing and are unable to live. Now, I don't know what happened to this man, but the significance of this story is that when we got to the part in Job, when they were, when they were performing these verses from Job, And it talked about, in my flesh, I will see God. And it talked about, though my flesh fail, I know I have hope because I'll see God. We just looked at each other and wept. Because we both knew what that hope is about. You see, the Bible says that when we get to heaven, or rather when... Christ comes back, we will have new bodies. Glorified bodies that won't know corruption. And you know what? I'm going to be standing up. And I'm not just going to be standing up, I'm going to be running. I have a lot of soccer and basketball to catch up on, let me tell you. I'm, I'm planning to play with some of you guys when we get up there. So mark it down. But the point being, where does this hope come from? Why do I have hope that I'll see God? Because Jesus paid my ransom. Because Jesus took the penalty of my sin and gave me his righteousness in return. That's why I have hope. And that same hope is available to you. I can't kneel. I'll be one of very few people that won't get down on one knee when I finally ask someone to marry me. But I will get down on one knee when it comes time to bow before my Lord and Savior 
and to say to him, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you alone are worthy. How exciting is that? I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend as kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. Dear Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done today. You have used your servant, and you still have the best is still yet to come. But until then, Lord, may your servant, Andrew, continue to honor you in all that he does. Bring much fruit from his obedience, O oh God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, thank you, brother. All right, just a reminder. No, I, I didn't say have a blessed day. I didn't, oh, I just said.